0: like to uh, welcome everybody that is here, that is viewing uh, here today. Um, I thank you for those that I've had visits with. I wanted to encourage you to continue to schedule visits, and we can do that any way that is uh, comfortable for you. It could be a Zoom call. It could be a phone call, uh, lunch, dinner, as you've seen. and It it helps, even though it's just one visit. I visited with some folks last week. One was a golf visit on Friday morning, which was great, with Adam and his father and his father-in-law, Adam Bly. Uh, we had a great time. I told my son, he asked me how I did, because he's a golfer, and I said, I did really good. And normally, when I start out bad, I pout and throw a fit, and, and I said, I did really good. I started out horrible on the first two holes, and then I was with church people, so I couldn't throw a fit or pout. And so I had to pull it together and ended up doing really well. So that was a fantastic visit. But, and now I know Adam is watching and I know um, have a little connection. So it, even though it's unique, it still helps to get to know you one by one. And that can be in any form that you're comfortable with. Um, now my wife's not going to like this, but... We have to take advantage of opportunities that we have. So, I would like my wife and my youngest daughter to come real quick. You can can take that off. This is Morgan. She's 19. She goes to Texas Tech. And this is my lovely, beautiful wife, Desiree. You say hi. Hi. Would you like to say anything, Des? It's good to be here. (laughs) That was very good for her. So, thank you all. Thank you. So, I'm I'm very glad they're here. Uh, We had a a good few days together, and they'll be heading back here. Um, I also want to encourage you that, as um, Josh said, he talked about the pandemic and the isolation, and as we begin to understand that maybe we don't know where the end is exactly, that this is going to be a time for you to adapt a time for you to focus on your individual relationship with Christ. Um, You're going to have to be a little more proactive at at home. And and maybe as we go into the, the series, The Soul Reset, Um, We'll have maybe a little discipleship moment focusing on the main means of grace that you can be practicing at home. Personal prayers, never more important than ever. Personal scripture study, devotional time each day, never more important than ever. Uh, Reaching out to people um, that God puts on your heart to to look out for one another. Uh, A unique way uh, that this was done uh, last week, a family had asked for some extra communion drive through communion that they wanted to share with the family they knew that was going through some things. And I think that's a fantastic idea to use uh, this drive through this take-home communion as an opportunity to reach out to your neighbors or to somebody that might be going through a rough time to introduce them to a relationship. Introduce them, I mean, starting at the core of the gospel, right? Christ's death and resurrection uh, for us. Um, so, so anyway, I just want to put that out there to be attentive to your soul. Be attentive to your relationship with Christ. So, all right. Well, let's get to the meat of it today. Uh, we are talking about love, and this is a subject that um, is, is, I have to be very careful that I don't get into the weeds and get into the details, but it's, it's, it's part, we really don't get through grace unless we go through sin, And and law, right? The law came first. The law has purposes, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But ultimately, where we end up, even why the law was given to us, it is because of love. And so, in the end, Jesus takes us throughout all Scripture, and you get into um, our Scripture and other Scriptures that say, in the end, when you love God and when you love others selflessly— you will end up fulfilling all of the law. So let's get into it today. Scripture comes from chapter 22 in Matthew, verses beginning in verse 34. Listen for the word of the Lord. Hearing that Jesus silenced the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he, uh, the Pharisees got together. Uh, let me start that over. Hearing that he had silenced the Pharisees, or the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One, an expert in the law, tested him in the, with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law... And all of the prophets hang on these two commandments. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, as we come to hear your word, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, uh, Lord, would be pleasing to you. And would be carried by your Holy Spirit that each one of us would receive the message you have for us here this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I've been asking some people, some have heard, some haven't. If you have ever heard of the term virtue singling, um, it's kind of a psychological theory. It's very popular in some areas today, because it, it especially with social media. Basically what virtue singling is, is that you, you put forth uh, something let, let, uh, let me give you a few examples. So a person sharing a status on social media in support of some type of movement, of some type of issue, to show others that they're a good person, right? So we all have folks on there and we know that people will put stuff and in doing that, there's a part of us that is telling the world, I'm a good person because I support this cause. Or it's akin to wearing a t-shirt that has a popular movement or um, issue that you support. Um, There's all kinds of different ways. Social media, Facebook is the best kind of. One of the more well, it's not that recent, but it's in the last few years, the ice bucket challenge. Many of you remember that. Well, you were supposed to donate money. It was centered around donating money to ALS. I'm tongue tied today. ALS, right? And you're supposed to do the ice bucket challenge and then send money. Well, the, 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 the virtue singling there was. Many people did the ice uh, bucket challenge. To show they supported the cause. But it was later found out a lot of people. Never sent in the money. So they wanted to show or participate. To show they were involved. So. And it's not to be critical. Because you can do. In and of itself it's not bad. Right. Because you might really believe in a cause. I mean it can there can be some duality here. That you give to the cause. but But you also like. All the likes that you got on Facebook. You know, and when we put something out there that's kind of uh, a righteous claim to show that you're good, uh, the more likes we get, the more justified we feel. And this can be intrinsic or extrinsic. Sometimes we could want to tell people and, and get the approval of others, That we're a good person and we support the right causes and our viewpoint is right. Um, But sometimes that can be for ourselves, too. Right? Going back to the, how many likes did you get? Uh, The more likes you get, the better you feel about yourself. The more right you feel. And usually, uh, it's just people that agree with you. So you haven't really changed the world or done anything, but you feel more important. And so I don't want to get lost in that, but that that's that's very uh, it's a common topic, especially for some podcast I listen to this this idea of virtue singling. But what is important about that, or why I bring that up, is because there's some there's some elements to it that are very biblical. Because when we are virtue signaling, we are trying to convince ourselves that we are good enough, that we are worthy, that we are justified. It's a a form of self-justification, right? Whether it be to other people or be for ourselves, we're justifying ourselves. And this bleeds over into some important topics in Scripture, self-justification and living by the law, our works, righteousness, and we, we won't get off into all of those, but I want to talk about the law and, and point out that Jesus speaks about virtue singling in Scripture. If we go to Matthew um, chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about he, what does Jesus say of the Pharisees? He's, he's warning them against virtue singling. He's saying, all right, when you pray, don't go out on the street corner and make a big production of how holy and mighty you are and how righteous you are, but go and talk to your Father in secret. In other words, don't go out and virtue single to the world that you're such a holy person. Right? And in the same way, he says, uh, and when you fast, he says, when you fast, you know, don't look all down and go around telling people how hungry you are. Look good. Clean up. Look like you got it all together and and you don't need that food because you have Christ or you have God. Right? So Jesus even speaks to that in Scripture because that's that crossover when he's talking to the Pharisees continually about them living by the law and trying to be self-righteous and self-justified. And that's important because We need to understand. We don't talk about the law a lot, and and we don't need to, but we have to understand it. Because the law is a major part of the biblical story, especially in the Old Testament. It is all about the law. God gave us the law. And Paul speaks about it. Jesus speaks about it. Because what the Pharisees were doing and the religious leaders were doing, the Sadducees were doing, what they were doing was trying to justify themselves. You know, they, they added like something like 600 new laws. And Jesus talks to them about following the tradition of men. The, the laws you made, you put higher than the laws God made. And they like to sit at the front seat, or, or the front uh, seat at the table. They like to have all their tassels shown. They like to show the world how righteous and holy they are. They like, they are after self-justification. They are what Paul speaks against when he talks about works righteousness. When we try to earn our salvation, where we try to justify ourselves. And Paul speaks about that. We cannot do that. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, And and no matter how good we think we are, we still fall short. We're having a Bible study and staff, and in that Bible study, we're just going over some big, broad strokes of the gospel and of Scripture, and we started where you need to start, chapter 3, Sin. And sometimes I think the reason that we, many churches get off preaching the gospel is because humanism spe- creeps in and begins to tell us we're all good and then we all start trying to live by the law and be better than we are and be better than the next person. And before we know it, we've reverted back to living by the law and trying to earn our salvation, trying to justify our, ourselves. And the problem with that, that comes with condemnation and comes with judgment when we're supposed to be living in the freedom of grace. And that tells us that the gospel, the good news tells us, yeah, you're a sinner. Yeah, you've fallen short. Yeah, you're not worthy. But you don't have to be. Because Jesus is. And Jesus paid your price. Jesus, on the cross, what does scripture say? Fulfilled the law. So that we could close out the New Covenant and move in, I mean the Old Covenant and move into the New Covenant. And so it is important that we understand a little bit about the law. So I want to talk about um, the law just a little bit before we get to the very spirit. Because as Paul teaches us, he begins to talk about the law and how it's not meant to save us. But he says, so is the law bad? No, the law is good. It has a purpose. But we've got to make sure we understand what its purpose is. So, when we talk about the law, I'll use the common reference to the law as you talk about three purposes of the law. Martin Luther's three purposes of the law. The Reformed tradition, three purposes of the law. But there's uh, uh, three main purposes of the law. First, the law was given to, as I translate it, to um, govern where the Spirit is absent. Where the Spirit of God is absent, the law was given. And that can be in two ways. In, in culture, and society. So in the Old Testament, you don't see the Holy Spirit so much. It's, I tell people uh, it's more like God has a squirt gun. Very theological, right? God has a squirt gun. And he, he gives the Holy Spirit for this purpose. And he pours out his spirit for this purpose. But it's not, as in the New Testament, poured out and flooding over us and in us. Right? And so it is at this time that God gives the law to his people. And understand, the law from the beginning was supposed to be to keep them in relationship. A wayward, broken rebellious, unfaithful people, keep them in relationship. In Deuteronomy, he says, if you follow these laws, you will be blessed, and I will be your God, and you will be my people, and you will be where you need to be with me. And then he goes, because he knows us, he knows our nature, he tells his people, but if you don't, and he actually later on goes, when you don't, he goes, but if you don't, you're going to do all that happens after Deuteronomy, all that happens in Kings and Chronicles. That you're going to begin to drift away from me, and you're going to begin to worship other gods and be unfaithful in our relationship, and you're going to be carried so far away from me. Uh, I always say the extreme example, at some points in Israel's history, they go out so far away from God because they got so far away from living under the law that they started sacrificing their own children. other gods and God knew that he knows us and so he gave him the law and remember in our scripture text in Matthew it said all the law and the prophets because then God sends the prophets to call them back to living in relationship through the law through the covenant he said see what happened (laughs) I told you I told you way back If you lived in the law, you obeyed and you never forgot, you would live in relationship with me and you would be blessed. But if you didn't, you'd be carried away and drift away from me and end up in a place you never wanted to be. And that's what happens to us, right? We drift. There's old West Texas little metaphor for this that um, we drift. We, We separate, that there was this couple and when they first were started dating and they were in this pickup truck and and she would sit real close to him and and you know behind they would look like one person Everywhere they went, there were just one person in the driver's seat. And then over time, they began to drift, and the, there was, they began to, uh, the relationship began to grow colder. And eventually, when they drove around anywhere, she, he was in the driver's seat, and she was all the way over in the passenger's seat. And one day this was happening, and she was just staring out the window. She goes, what happened to us? What happened to us? We, we used to be so close and so passionate and so loving to one another. And, and now, she goes, in fact, there wasn't a time we weren't in this truck where I wasn't right next to you. And we were holding each other and people behind us thought we were one person. What happened to us? And he just kept driving. He said, I didn't move. Right? He didn't move. She was over there, so if we find ourselves distance from god god didn 't move. we did, and the problem is the law couldn 't keep us where we needed to be, which um, that was the next well no the, the first. The other second use of the law is it identifies sin. It tells us what sin is. Paul said, I wouldn't have known coveting was a sin until it said don't covet. Right? It identified sin in the world at a time where where people were making up their own morals, their own rights, their own wrongs. God said, here is my nature and here is my law. And so we see in the Ten Commandments, we see two parts of our Scripture today, the two greatest commandments. Part of the Ten Commandments is, is uh, laws against, that are designed to keep us in relationship with God. And the other part are designed to keep us in good relationship with one another. And so they were designed to show us what sin and selfishness is. Right? Right? And so it it not only identifies sin outside of ourselves; it identifies the sin in our own hearts. It holds up a mirror to us and to where we're broken, and to where we're selfish, and to what is dark inside of us. And the law helps to do that. When you've hurt somebody, when when uh, a obvious one, when you steal from somebody, right? It tells us that came from in here. And so the law governs where the Spirit is absent. And let me back up there. I told Lisa I was going to have trouble cramming all this in here. Uh, but it also, the first one, it governs where the Spirit is absent. That's not just in the world or the story of Scripture. That's in our own lives. Right? Now, we have the Spirit, and we're going to talk about that in just a second in us and then when i am fully in, immersed in the means of grace that keep me the spirit high in my life when i'm reading my devotions when i'm praying when i'm serving when i'm worshiping when and when i'm fellowshipping with other christians that are keeping me accountable the spirit is high in my life and i don't need the law because i'm not going to steal i'm not going to be selfish i'm going to i'm going to love people with the love of christ cuz the very spirit of christ is in me but even though I have the spirit of Christ in me, there are times that I drift. And that spirit begins to wane. And when, when I start to drift, then I'm not living in the spirit of the law. And so, I'm not, usually my, the form of my law, in a good way, is my wife. When I'm not reading scripture, when I'm not praying, when I'm not where I should be and the spirit begins to wane, I might need a reminder, Jim, stop acting like that. You can't do that. That was selfish. Mm-hmm. Do you see the difference? So, so the spirit or the law working where governing where the spirit is absent works in a couple different ways in society, in a culture. If you don't have a spirit of Christ in that culture, in that community, you need a law to govern. And in our hearts, where the spirit is absent, we need that law to come in and get us right back on the right track. All right. so I had to jump back, that was important, I couldn't miss it. So, the third point of the law, the third use of the ball, is that it points to Christ. By highlighting our inability to keep it. To be faithful, to be righteous. That's what the entire story of the Old Testament is a story of a people that can't be faithful enough, can't be righteous enough, have been given opportunity after opportunity, and they can't do it. At the end, the last book of, of the Old Testament in Malachi, it's a sad story. God's frustrated. God's tired. He's been through this entire history with the people, and they still don't get it. He tells them, he says, yeah, sure, you're going through the motions. You're bringing me your sacrifices and all the stuff the law requires, but you're, you're bringing me my, the, your diseased animals, the, the, your leftovers, the ones you don't want anyway. And the problem isn't that God needs a perfect sheep. God can make a perfect sheep. But when we give our leftovers, when we give away what we don't want anyway, that tells us where our heart is. More importantly, it tells God where your heart is. And we just fall into those traps. There's a story about a Thanksgiving time and a lady was called... Um, Uh, looking for some way to donate her her, uh, turkey that she had had in her freezer for 20 years. And she's like, well, nobody's going to want this. I'll just give it to the church. Right? His leftovers. When when we give our leftovers, our unwanted stuff, God doesn't need that stuff, but it tells him where our heart is. And so basically he was telling... uh, The Israelites, the Jewish people in Malachi, yeah, you're doing all this stuff, but you're just going through the motions. He's so frustrated, he says in Malachi, that you would just, you're wasting your time, you're wasting my time, this is not what I want. I want you to want to be in relationship with me. I want you to love me. And when you love somebody, you give them your best. I tell this story when I talk about Malachi, and since Desiree's here, Usually every Christmas we, we put a budget on, all right, spend for the kids, don't spend this much over, you know, don't spend, don't get me this, don't get me this, don't give me anything, or it's stay within budget. And every year I go in, I'm going to be solid. I'm not going to go over budget. I'm not getting there anything else. And every year I go shopping, and I'm not a big shopper, but I go once a year. And I go... And I get carried away. And I always go over. Because when you love somebody, you don't want to do the least. When you love somebody, you want to do the most. And so God gets to the point of Malachi and he says, you just aren't, it's not working out. But he, he tells Him it's coming. He said, my name will be great again. You will be in relationship with me because he's uh, prophesying, he's, he's forecasting the coming of Christ. So, in the law, we see that we can't live faithfully in a covenant through the law in relationship with God. So our inability to keep the law points us to our need for a Savior. See, and with the law comes condemnation and comes judgment. And that's bad at a certain point, but that's what the law is supposed to do. It's supposed to make us feel unworthy. It's supposed to show us that we can't keep it so that we will be led to Jesus. And we say, I no longer want my will, but I want your will. And so that's a basic, very basic understanding of the law. The law is not evil, but it can't save us. It cannot justify us. Romans tells us no one is justified by keeping the law. It's not because the law is not righteous. It's because we're not. And we can't do it on our own. So Jesus came, part of his ministry on earth, before he went to the cross, and to to fulfill the covenant or the requirements of the law, His teaching here on earth, Jesus is moving us from law to spirit. And there's two aspects to that spirit. First is, we see it right off in in Matthew, again on Sermon on the Mount. He, He begins to talk not just about the law, but the spirit of the law. Two examples, he says, you shall not murder. That's a law. He said, but I tell you, Murder begins with anger in the heart. So if you want to get to the heart of it, the the spirit of the matter, when you're angry with somebody, go to them before you come to my altar and, and reconcile with them. Because it is out of that that murder comes. Now, man, I thought the law was hard already. Right? But... I'm—I'm I'm fairly certain I can follow the law. Do not murder. There's others I might have trouble with, but I'm fairly certain I can do that. But Jesus took it down a notch, or up a notch, depending how you're using it, and and said, "Yeah, no, it, more than that, Jim. Don't be angry. An anger that le- le- leads to sin. Same thing," he says. You've heard in the law that you shouldn't commit adultery. He said, well, you know what? Adultery starts with lust in your heart. So you need to take care of that first. And if you take care of that, you take care of the matter. And so Jesus is getting down to the very spirit of the law, which makes it even harder. Impossible. Good word, impossible. It was impossible before, even though the Jewish people tried it throughout the Old Testament. Now Jesus comes in and makes it really impossible. Because it needs to be, we need to understand that it's impossible. Jesus tells the rich young, or the disciples about when the rich young ruler walks away, he said, It is impossible for a rich man to get into heaven, but with God all things are possible. But so none of us can get into heaven on our own ability, on our own merit. But with God through Christ, all things are possible. And so again, we see Jesus coming down and getting into the very spirit of the law which when we understand that we, as Romans tells us, we're of flesh, we're the natural person, and on our own ability, we're not going to be able to justify uh, ourselves by the law. So we need a savior. We need a solution. And Jesus is the savior. Jesus is the solution. So that we no longer live by the law, And it's not just the other aspect of the Spirit part of this. Jesus goes from law to the Spirit. Is Jesus goes from the law governing us to now we have the very Spirit of Christ in us. And that's the only way we can fulfill the law. The very Spirit that wrote the law, God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is now in us, and it transforms us into people that, uh, let's go back to... um, in the, in the Old Testament prophesied, Jeremiah says, This covenant I will make with my people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, Know the Lord because they will know me from the least to the greatest. So Jesus or God is telling them, and there's going to be a time where I put the very Spirit that created the whole very Spirit in your hearts. In 1 Corinthians tells us that the Spirit searches all things, even deep things of God, for who knows the things of the Spirit or the thoughts of the God within? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the very Spirit of God. And now that we, through Christ, who through His death, on the cross, satisfied the requirements of justice and the law. But through his resurrection, we receive the spirit that transforms us into new life. So no longer are we justified or have to justify, try to justify ourselves by works. But we live, we have accepted Christ. We are justified, Ephesians 2 tells us we are justified through faith by grace in Christ. So we no longer have to justify ourselves. We no longer have to go out and try to find the approval of others. Or to be justified by others. Or to feel that we're justified because we're a good person. Because one, we're not. And so when people come and tell, I might have told you this, when people come and tell me, oh, Pastor, I just don't feel worthy, I say, that's because you're not. But you don't have to be. That's the good news of grace. And I think why this is important is because we don't know how to live in grace. How many church people still feel that church, they feel like church, it's a burden. That we put, that they have to do this and they have to do that or they have to go to church. You ever say, oh, well, when we were in church, right? Now you can just, it's easier. You don't don't have that excuse. You just turn on TV. But everybody say this before, Uh, the COVID pandemic quarantine. Oh, get in a car. We got to go to church. Does that ring of Malachi a little bit? God doesn't want you to have to come to church. God wants you to want to come and worship. But if we're living, a lot of our culture in Christianity is shrinking. Because I think too many times people come in to, hear, when they hear the gospel that it, it, you live in freedom and your burdens are lifted. But they come in and in one form or fashion we pour on legalism and more burdens that just weigh us down and you say, I got enough of those. That's not why I came. We have to learn to live in grace. And to learn to live in grace is to let go. And to know that you don't have to earn God's love. And the law tells us you can't earn God's love. But that you are Loved. and to live in that knowledge and that peace that is the law of love when we love others like Christ has loved us and then we learn and we're not good we can't do that on our own Jim McClurg can't live, uh, love selfishly or no, Jim McClurg does love selfishly I can't love others deeply like Christ loves me But the spirit of Christ that lives in me, that's transforming me, and moving me from a selfless natural person to a selfless spiritual person, then I begin to. And when we live in that love, and we begin to love with that love, we are fulfilling the law of love. close with a quick story about how much God loves us. I know Morgan and Desiree have heard this story a lot. But when my oldest son, I shared with you about him two sermons ago. My oldest son was little, and all my kids really, but it started with him. I have most memories with him. But he's like, he'd be seven, six or something. And and we'd wrestle and uh, I like to give strawberry... Oh, no, not strawberries. Raspberries. Raspberries, strawberries. strawberries. So, you know, on the belly. And so, he would, I would grab his arms. This is a much better story if he's listening to it. He's 26 now. I'd grab his little arms and I'd say, do I love you this much? Because he knew what was coming. And he'd start giggling and say, no, 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 not that much. I'd say, do I love you this much? I'd be pulling his hands apart. Do I love you this? No, 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 not that much. Do I love you this much? Do I love you this much? And the routine with God. And then I'd finally get to as far as I could stretch it. Do I love this, you this much? And I'd go yes. And he'd go yes. And I'd go. Pfft. And it was a big, big ending. But I always remember that when I forget how much God loves me. God loves us this much. That he gave himself on the cross so that we wouldn't have to wear ourselves out trying to justify, trying to earn a salvation we could never earn on ourselves. He spread himself out to fulfill the requirements of the justice of the law that we might be freed from sin and death, that we might live in peace and love and grace. Let us pray. Dear Lord, I thank you for your grace and for your mercy. I thank you for your love. Lord, I thank you for your law that tells me that I cannot do it on my own, that has shown me time after time when I try on my own, I fall short. Lord, for your law that governs me when I'm not walking in the spirit. And Lord, for your law that identifies sin that I'm not even aware of. But Lord, I thank you for your spirit that transforms me, sanctifies me, justifies me into the person you have called me to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.